This podcast is brought to you by the Ohio Writing Project. OWP supports teachers from all over Ohio and celebrates the professionalism, expertise, and talent of our state's educators. Ohio Writing Project. Teachers teaching teachers. Answers, a production of the Ohio Writing Project. My name is Noah Waspy, and today is a special one. But first, let me share a poem with you. This one's called Thank You by Ross Gay. If you find yourself half naked and barefoot in the frosty grass, hearing again the earth's great sonorous moan that says, You are the heir of the now and gone, that says all your love will turn to dust and will meet you there, do not raise your fist. Do not raise your small voice against it, and do not take cover. Instead, curl your toes into the grass, watch the cloud ascending from your lips, walk through the garden's dormant splendor, say only thank you. Thank you. That's a good poem. So for the last few years, I've been kind of obsessed with this question of what is it that we can do as writing teachers to make our classes more similar to what writers actually go through. The things that stick, pop up in my mind the most are, if you hear interviews with writers or if you write yourself, one thing you know is that an important part of the process is walking away from the piece of writing and going and doing something else. And that's usually when you come up with the solution to a problem or a corner that you've written yourself into. But we can't really do that in the classroom, and there are lots of other things like that. So what better group of people to talk to than a bunch of writers? And OWP has just that. So for today's interview, I talked to some people in the weekly Ohio Writing Project writing group. We meet on Zoom every Saturday. And I talked to Betsy Woods, Aaron Vohr, Ben Vohr, and TJ Wilson just about writing and we asked lots of questions and had lots of ideas on things that we can be doing to make our writing classroom more authentic to the processes that writers actually go through. So the first person you'll be hearing from is TJ Wilson, and here it is, my interview with the OWP Writing Group. We're still getting out of like the fuddy-duddy days of like literary analysis and like all the stuff that goes along with that because like if you read uh penny kittle and kelly gallagher's four essential studies they do a really interesting job and i, I didn't know they were going to do something like this but arguing for that you should have poetry writing as essential study and like in some ways it's kind of, that kind of creative work is like what we should be doing because i mean if you think about narrative as an art form it's like this art of telling a story Uh, or an anecdote and like that's how humans communicate and like I just think it's funny that we try all the time deny that we are human and like that's how we communicate and it's like you know with the apps and all the app world and digital try like you know all the stuff that we try to make efficient the way we talk to each other it's really the essential way so why wouldn't you teach short story 
like we teach in science, like really obscure science that people like the kids will never use unless they go into a specific field. Like some of the stuff you learn in physics, some of the stuff you learn in biology, chemistry, for sure. Unless you go into those fields, you're never going to use that. So why are we so precious with only teaching the kind of writing that kids will use for a college essay? And this is kind of anecdotal, but I have a student teacher um, this semester, and I've talked to some other recent graduates, and even English majors have said they aren't doing a lot of literary analysis, certainly compared to what I experienced. So that's like we shifted from what used to be called a capstone for seniors at the school Aaron and I teach at, which was essentially the equivalent of a college research paper. And we do the autoethnography now, which is more personal writing, but has research components. And what I hear is more common now in college than what perhaps it was when I was in college. Aaron, I know that you've written a novel and you've probably written other stuff too. Why, what pushes you to write or why do you write? What do you love about writing? Any of those questions you could answer. Um, I write... I write best when it's a cathart- like a cathartic experience. Um, writing my novel was very much that. It was a way to channel um, a lot of frustration into something creative and meaningful. Um, and I'd never written like that before. Uh, before that, the most writing I've done in the last couple of years has been these short, um, semi-personal informative pieces about uh, my experience living with multiple sclerosis. And they've been uh, published for this online health magazine. Um, so they've been assignments, but also I get, I get really jazzed about this kind of short burst of uh, writing. Um, ben and Betsy have both been my editors for that, which has been really nice. Um, but uh, for that, I feel kind of like this, um, having MS and um, uh, I think about how lonely that first year was and how much I've experienced and learned about MS along the way. And it feels like um, the kind of meaningful writing where it's like, there's, it's such a mysterious disease. I'm kind of going off on a tangent here, but I write because it's like, it's my niche and it's, it's specific to me. Um, I like the essay format. I, I think like novel aside, that's my favorite thing to write more than anything else. Um, and I just happen to have written most about health crap. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like you're in addition to writing for joy, creativity, and for fun, you also write to process big things. Yes. That's what I'm picking up on. Yes. TJ, what about you? So I'm going to like, my comment is is going to ride along nicely with what Aaron just said. But when I was starting to write fiction, uh, like short stories, I thought like, so I had like a pretty fortunate life in that I got to travel a lot and like live overseas. And I thought my, the role of the writer was to show everybody else the thing that you've learned about life and the truth mm-hmm. that you learned and that's the writers I really respected, like, you know, like Don DeLillo or like um, people that like you, you're like, I'm coming here to learn from you. And then what I learned is that writers don't sell so a lot of them. The good ones don't really know what they're writing about or what they're learning. And they use writing as a learning tool. 
-hmm. And I feel like that's widened my gaze on what I like to write. And I never thought I would ever be writing essays as for fun, but I feel like that's how I think the most deeply I've ever uh, thought before is by writing. And uh, I think that's been the best thing writing's done for me as a writer and as also a teacher, because I bring that uh, same uh, philosophy to class. So to show what you've learned, but also to figure out what you've learned. Or what I'm going to learn, you know? (laughs) True. What about you, Ben? I remember the joy of reading. And I think my desire to write was to like do that for Mm. someone else. Um, So that led to usually fiction and creating books like the ones that I like to read. Um, As somebody who I think has a hard time expressing emotions, writing for me was very therapeutic and began kind of journaling um, in high school because I had to like figure out what I thought. Uh, I'm not quick on my feet in an argument or, (laughs) um, you know, like, like just sort of expressing myself. So I could do that on page. I was more comfortable on page. So like Aaron said, I think there was something therapeutic about it. And then like TJ said, I feel like now what I try to teach and model my classroom is that I write in order to figure out what I think. The process of putting some thoughts down and I love the essay form too, allows me to think more critically about something. And I think it's shifted away from sort of emotional expression towards how do I think analytically about Mm. issues that matter to me, like what TJ shared in our writers group um, about school safety. Um, And I think the only other thing I would add is I think about E.M. Forster's Only Connect. And I just feel like there's something about writing that connects you to a reader. And I, you know, read Stephen King's Writing This Summer. And I, I just think about sort of that pact between writer and reader. And even though it's such a solitary pursuit, I feel like it's a generous impulse to want to give something that hopefully means something to you, but even more hopefully means something to somebody else who you may never meet but we'll read your words on a page. Yeah. Can I say something to that? Okay. So like, this is like the fear of the learner and the fear of the writer are both the same. It is like, I'm afraid to do the thing. I'm afraid to try the thing out. I'm afraid to write the thing. And like, if you approach it by like saying that I'm never going to be to know the thing that I need to know before I write, like, so that was my problem when I started writing was I thought I had to know the thing. And, and, you know, it's also egocentric to feel like you have to know something in order to write it. But it's stifling to think that way, to think that you'll never get, you'll never learn something or you'll never be a master at it, or you'll never be able to write something because you don't know something. And and it's stifling because you never want to write because, you know, you're thinking that you're never good enough and you can't try and all that stuff. But if you change your mindset to, I'm going to learn something through the act of doing this, like that opens everything up and it becomes a completely different experience, uh, especially as a learner to like think, okay, I don't need to just hear what somebody has to say and then do the exact same thing. I need to just mess around and play with stuff and then I'll figure out where to go from that. So I want to jump in there because I, I agree. And I also want to kind of synthesize everything that everyone said so far before we go to Betsy. Like, I think... It's crazy. Like when I hear all these answers, the why for writing is not one thing, right? We're just teaching like this is the one thing, whether it's the why or the how or the what. 
And let it be known that I'm the only one coming in here with an agenda. Everyone else is <laughs> hostage to my agenda. <laughs> but um, so let's go over to Betsy. What's your why for writing? Um, okay. Uh, my why for writing, I like Noah said, I agree with a lot of what everyone is saying here. But honestly, I just love words. And I also really feel like what TJ was saying about thinking through writing. And I do try to do that with my students, too. Um, it's, and the therapeutic stuff that everyone has said as well. But um, I saw on social media, somebody post the other day, it should be called brain writing instead of brainstorming, right? Um, because if you just have your students write a little bit before they talk, the thoughts are more complex, the conversation's deeper, everything's more nuanced, and you just get further in, in the topic, which is why I like how our writing group still does our tiny bit of writing together um, on the agenda before we start writing, because it's just like, you just dip in a little bit, right, and do your thinking on paper. But yeah, back to what I like is just, I mean, I like when the words come together. I love that answer. And I've been and I love to use the word love, the words, love words. In fact, I've been writing down a few key words from everybody's. So if you summed up our why, it would be this. Love, meaningful, learned, joy, connect. Now, what if our why for writing was the same as our why for teaching? What would that look like is the question. That's like my big thesis statement for this whole series where I, anytime I talk to a writer and I don't think we have to answer that question, but I want to raise that question. So the next thing I want to maybe dig into if, if you have a take on it or you could pass is what part of the writing process do you think is like your writing process? I shouldn't say the, because one of my favorite podcasts is called the writing routine. And they, he entered this guy named Dan Simpson interviews writers about all the niche and nuancey things of the process thing I've learned is nobody has the same process. There are like five different processes and some people dip into each of them, but we'll call it the writing process anyway, with quotes around it. What part of the writing process do you think is the hardest to transfer into a classroom, a writing classroom? And I'll let anyone who wants to weigh in on that one. I will, I will add the cheat code one, the, so like, um, basically I think like with the amount of time is our enemy in the classroom. That's just a basic fact. Uh, it is, we are at Pavlov's behest and, and the writing process cannot be scrunched into that. Although I am a firm believer in writers workshop and meeting with students and having students write in my classroom as well as read, but you cannot teach that ideas just don't come fully formed into your head on the first draft. You cannot teach that a lot of times people get burnt out within a 30 minute writing session and need to go recalibrate their brains because they're biological entities and not machines. Mm -hmm. And that also that you sometimes need to go take a break and plan ahead and go take a walk or a sleep or something and that your unconscious mind is your friend in that in those spaces and that ideas can come from anywhere and you shouldn't force writing ever um and i feel like that is really freaking hard to like teach in a classroom <laughs> i mean what's the homework there go do nothing like it's yeah. really difficult and let's also add that it's also hard to do that because some writers do force themselves to have a certain word count for every day knowing that they're not going, but they know that they're not going to 
use most of what they write because they have that luxury of time of just doing the vo- a lot more of vomit drafting than we get to do because of time constraints. But then lots of other writers say that they think that having a daily word count is terrible. So nobody agrees on that, but there is something to like forcing the writing when you're on a timeline, it doesn't work, right? I don't know. Some people say, sorry, Uh, some people say they write best up against a deadline. Students will say that too. You know, a little bit of pressure. Mm -hmm. I I definitely think helps. Although I agree with TJ, like uh, the best part of writing, I think is when you're in the zone and how do you create that in a classroom? You can try your best. You can put some instrumental music on in the background. Mm -hmm. You can like, I don't know, you can maybe put some scents out there. I don't know what (laughs) we get, but that's like Noah said, it's different for everybody when you get in the writing zone and when you don't, right? So it's hard to recreate that. But I do think some deadlines help writers, I think, mm-hmm. and pressure can help a writer. So, Yeah, and it's like what TJ said earlier with having the end in mind. Sometimes it's bad and we need to be able to discover. But I've also heard yeah. writers say that they need to have the end of their, if they're writing stories at least, they need to have the end in mind so that they know what they're writing toward in each move. Nobody agrees on what the right answer is. It's different for Ben, you look like you were about to say something. Uh, Aaron and I taught an Annie Dillard essay this week. At the end of it, where they talked, she said, even sometimes after her essays were in print, she would see them and want to keep changing the language or revising Mm -hmm. and improving. And I think the hardest thing, and this is partly what TJ said about there being time constraints, but I think school is so often set up as, okay, you do something and this is the final grade and we move on. And writing is constantly revision. Um, I think Anne Lamott said, we all write shitty first drafts. So I think kids write and nobody writes well the first time and gets it exactly right. And I want to teach that writing is is not that, did it go right the first time? Because it never does. Mm -hmm. So you keep doing it and you keep revising it. But school is always moving forward. There's another unit to start and you've got to enter grades. And so I think trying to separate what some of the structures of school are and what we have to measure in the fact that writing is constantly revision and returning to things and sometimes setting something down, but coming back to it months or years later and realizing there was something there, I just didn't know how to express it in the right way at the right time um, is what's hard for me. If someone listening to this episode can think of some really interesting ways to make revision more of an more of the process than it is in school. I know that there are lots of people who've written about it, but I'd love to hear about some of those because like what you're saying, Ben, it's all revision, but we don't always have the time or the, our, the way we structure our writing periods isn't always conducive, especially with the earlier grades to doing meaningful revision. And it's hard to make, it's hard to um, teach meaningful revision when all the writing skills aren't all the way there yet for every student. So that's a challenge that I would love to hear people weigh in on if they could contact me after this, when they hear this. Any other things that are part of the writing process that are hard to transfer to a classroom that we could think about? Can I I, uh, that? Go ahead. ahead. I'm sorry, I I want you, I, I want to just go back to something Betsy said. I want to disagree with her. Okay. Is that okay? Yes. Yes, conflict. So Betsy said that sometimes deadlines help you write. And like, I agree. 
it, it is that is a total truth. When I was uh, in college and stuff, I would deadlines would put my fingers to the keyboard, and it would get me it would get me out of the most trouble I've ever, ever been in in my life, and it got me into the most trouble I've ever been in, in my life because I forced a lot of stuff. And so it's about time and what time does to humans. And it's true that endings, like the seeing an ending, like turns you on, like your brain on. And uh, that's true. But at the same time, what would you rather have to open up your writing scope? Would it be the anxiety of an end or an open space, you know, that you can think, you know, and it's like, yeah, like we need deadlines to, in order to finish things. I think Leonardo da Vinci famously did not have deadlines and and got, you know, just was an unfinished product most of his life. But at the same time, if you, I think the trick is to like build in spaces for yourself that are planned ahead and also have deadlines. But that's like impossible to do in school in some ways, because I mean, some people like, I love that writer's routine show, Noah. I've been listening to it, binge watching it every time I talked to you last, but everyone writes at different times. And so how do you create space when you're, when your space is at 1230 PM every day, you know, it's hard. 100% agreed. That's you oh, get a 20 second rebuttal before Aaron jumps in. If you'd like, and then yeah, I'm just kidding. I, I will. Okay. <laughs> right. I'll do it. And then, and then it's Aaron's turn. Um, yeah, just, I think it's about giving different opportunities for writing. So like, that's why you do quick writes too. Like that's the constant writing, right? That's why you do stop and jots. That's why you, um, write before you talk. That's why you have other projects that are maybe more complex and do have deadlines, right? Um, the quick writes I do in my CP 12 class, I do a, a topic every day. But and then I leave them up as we go on through the week. So if you want to go back and write about, we talked about texting do's and don'ts, right, was one of our topics for a quick write. If you weren't finished with that, you can go back and write about that instead of the topic that's up today, right? So I think infusing all of the different types of writing in your classroom is the probably the best you can do to sort of combat what TJ's talking about, the fact that writing worlds and schedules. Sorry, that was more than 20 seconds. <laughs> No. All right. Sorry, Aaron. I just, I thought it would be funny. Uh, <laughs> no, I liked that. I really okay, good. That. I was uh, good answer too. I was thinking really about answer. the question you asked us in the beginning, Noah, and you're asking a bunch of people who love writing why we write. And I, I bet it was in kind of like a funk this week, just because I can feel, um, especially from four of my classes, just very middle of the road students, um, not to generalize, but to general, you know, I am. Um, and just kind of like their apathy for wanting to do anything. And I know that's not a step in the writing process, but it should be if you're teaching writing, which is like, how do you get kids to want to write besides just that you're asking them to do so and you are the power structure in the room kind of. So I've been thinking about that a lot. And um, I've, I've thought of in the first place, besides just a grade um you know Aaron you and I are on like we're on the same telepathic channel right now I just written down the words love writing because I like anytime a writer is interviewed and they didn't like writing in school how did they become writers well they read a lot um or they discovered this author or they just loved writing but not the kind that they do at school and because they loved writing so much, they figured out all the things and they read the things they needed to read, right? But it started with loving writing. 
And then you don't even need a teacher at some point, right? If we, if love, loving writing, if teaching into loving writing was more of a focus, it, I wonder how students would perform differently, especially when it comes to the apathy that we run up against so often as teachers. Yeah. I wish there was a magical school bus for English teachers. Like if we had like a budget to discover, like you just said, Noah, we would, I think we would foster a lot more writing because we would allow students to discover things uh, that would like go, knock loose the whatever, you know, WD-40 needs to get, uh, I just mixed that metaphor up, but whatever, knock loose whatever like barrier is like, keeping uh, students from seeing that, you know, you know, writing is discovery and you can discover things while writing. Um. Absolutely. So let's bring it home with a happy ending question. Um, how has writing informed your teaching? Like we all write at least once a week and during the summer, probably more. Um, so how has writing made you think differently about teaching or how does writing inform the way you teach writing? And I can edit out any awkward silences while we think it's okay. I, I think, go, go ahead, Betsy. Okay, I just think I, um, I don't, I, <laughs> in most cases, I think I probably don't have my students follow as many rules maybe as other teachers do in writing um so and i'm really liberal and as um for most cases now i do teach a class that has a test oh, i teach several classes that have a test at the end and students have to write in a certain way so um i try to help them there but i also just um like going back to what I said at the beginning, I like to celebrate like the tiny, like the best line in a piece, you know, um, as well. I'd rather focus on that than, um, hey, shouldn't your thesis statement be the last sentence in the paragraph or something to that effect. Mm. Which yeah. makes, makes as well with your love of words. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead, Ben. I'll uh, jump off from what Betsy said. I do not teach a class that has a, a test at the end of it. So I have a little bit more of the luxury, I think, of maybe unschooling some of the writing that they've had to do. Uh, and like Betsy, I don't know if I am as, as much of a, you know, I like to point to um, at the beginning of The Catcher in the Rye, um, J.D. Salinger uses a whole bunch of passive voice. And one of the things John Green called attention to in his Crash Course video on it is that's on purpose because Holden Caulfield is not acting on the world, he's being acted upon. So there are times to break these rules. Anytime I think a teacher says you can never use passive voice, unless it serves the purpose of your writing. Um, think about Huck Finn and how broken the language is there, but it's beautiful. And I think George Saunders does that so well. Mm -hmm. So I think what I, what I want to try to teach is that it's okay to break some rules and you probably should in your writing if it's your voice and if it serves the purpose of it. And um, I, I think I just try to create a little space for students who have equated writing with following rules and doing things in a certain order. It's like, well, for certain things maybe, but not for everything. And if you felt like those are shackles, let's take those shackles off because I think there's freedom in expression and I want you to move in that direction. Ben, like, 
when I think about professional writers, probably probably 99% or more did not produce a great piece of writing when they were in high school. So having that chance to experiment with rule breaking, like especially by the time that they've learned the rules well enough to break them, as that saying goes, I think that's just so huge. Like the thought that came to me is in Ben's class, kids get to experiment with things that they might be good at someday. And they get to start experimenting with that now. I think that if I could, like going to the kind of writing that I wish I could see more in my classroom and others is kids getting to experiment with things that they might be good at someday. Even if, or maybe that they might be great at someday and maybe they're good at it now. I don't want to disregard kids' efforts. <laughs> what about you, TJ? How has well, writing informed your teaching? So um, this took me a while to figure out, but like um, I read this, this so like I'll introduce, by, I read this uh, piece, I think it was a science piece about like how, how uh, facial expressions are kind of almost ubiquitous across the board in certain aspects. And that um, we're just really good at reading facial expressions and, and we're like kind of natural pattern recognizers. Um, and writing is not uh, a natural thing that we do, nor, nor is reading. It's a thing that our brain adapts to. Um, and it's part of that natural pattern recognizing process. And when we read, you know, we often think of it as like a machine thing, like you're just reading something and that's what it means. And that's never, almost never the case unless it's an instruction manual. And, and reading is noticing. It's noticing patterns and making meaning out of it. And everyone's got different meanings. And that's kind of what writing is. Writing is noticing. It's a process of figuring out what you notice and whether, you know, one thing you notice is good or not correct or whatever. And I feel like that's what learning is. And it's also what lifelong learning is. It's a habit of noticing and evaluating. And I feel like that's what writing has given me. It's a better way to think about reading and mm -hmm. learning. Completely agree. Aaron, what about you? Um, I, uh, you know, the last two years is just, I've done more writing the last two years than I did the first um, 13 of my teaching career. And, um, and it's been a regular pattern. And it's been the first time that I've had many eyes look at a piece and give me feedback. And so I think it's, it's transitioned knowing as a teacher, I have to give them feedback, knowing as a teacher, we need to teach the revision process and that it has value as kind of this abstract thing uh, that I know is good for them and that I have to do to um, how much enjoyment I've gotten being on the receiving end of feedback, whether in this group or, you know, for whatever, it, it, depending on the piece, I you know, whether it's something that can be improved or a comment that says, I really like this wording. Um, it's brought me joy. It's made me a better writer. I love it so much. And I see that it's, you know, it, writing is an individual pursuit and it's very much a, a group process in that, in the revision sense. And um, uh, I haven't figured this part out, but something has gone off in my brain the last two years where it's like the revision part is really exciting and fulfilling. And uh, I want that, I want what I feel uh, in my own revision to come alive in the classroom. 
What you're saying reminds me of something I heard John Hattie say in an interview. He said that they had interviewed a thousand something people um, who had become good at something maybe. And they asked like, what, what impact did a teacher have toward you being who you are today? And the two answers that came up again and again were the teacher saw something in me or the teacher introduced me to my passion. And I think your comment made me think of that, Aaron, like creating that classroom where kids might be introduced to this love of writing. And I'm sure that all of us work really hard to see the positives in each of our kids and show them that they have something special. Two thoughts on that. I think probably we all teach in some way the way we were taught by our favorite teachers. And I had Ms. Riley two years in high school and I always felt in her classroom like she was seeing the best version of myself that I knew I was not yet. But I always felt like you, you seem to believe in me more than I think you really should, but I'm okay with that. And I wanted to live up to her expectations. And, and the practical thing that I thought of, and I, I wish I could remember who in this group told me they do it because I stole it. But I will often, especially if it's personal writing that students have to submit now, before they submit, ask them to highlight their favorite sentence. And then in a comment, say, why? Why are they proud of it? Because I think we have communicated sometimes, like, you're not good at writing, or there's always something to improve on, and there is. But stop and say, I did this well, is one way to point out to them, like, yeah, like, let's focus on what you do do well, because um, that's a nice, that's a nice thing to, to build off of. In case you couldn't tell, these kinds of conversations are probably my favorite kind to have. And, you know, when I'm listening to podcasts where writers, especially, or creatives in general are being interviewed, I'm always thinking about how they describe their process and thinking about ways I might turn that into lessons or way or units or just instruction in general. If you had one of those moments where hearing one of these writers talk about process gave you an idea for how to better teach writing in a way that's more authentic to the processes we go through as writers, please reach out and let me know. My contact information can be found in the show notes. You can also find social media, way to follow um, all of our guests as well as myself in the show notes and how you can get in touch with and connect with the Ohio Writing Project. Do it. And another thing I do when I'm listening to podcasts is stop listening after the interview's over. So I'm going to stop talking now. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of Right Answers. <laughs>